Good morning. This morning's reading is from Isaiah, chapter 48, and that's page 736. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord, and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city, and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declared of old. They went out from my mouth, and I announced them. And suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead brass, I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. You have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known, They are created now, not long ago. Before today you have never heard of them, lest you should say, Behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. My hand lay the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Assemble, all of you, and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his way. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments, 
then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his Jacob, sorry, his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from them, for them, from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nicola, thank you for reading for us. Uh, Please do uh, open a Bible if you don't have one already and turn to Isaiah 48. That is where we're going to be. And uh, let me just lead us in prayer again. Those words we heard earlier from Isaiah 45. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Father God, thank you that you are a saving God. Uh, We uh, know that salvation is uh, necessary. Help us this morning see quite how necessary your salvation is for every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder this week if anyone read about Cam Cameron. Anyone hear about Cam Cameron in the news? He's an army veteran. He was aiming to set a world record for the number of days spent on Rockall, a tiny lump of granite out in the North Atlantic. All had been going well for over 30 days, but then the weather changed. Gales start coming in. He has to send out a May Day, and Cam Cameron had to be rescued. He simply couldn't carry on on his own. My aim, Isaiah's aim, is to show us we cannot go it alone. We need a rescuer. We need to listen to God who alone rules history and who alone can save. If we've been here over recent weeks, we might know Isaiah has been issuing a word of comfort since the beginning of chapter 40. Maybe we remember comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And yet here at the end of this section, it feels more confronting than comforting perhaps. And it's meant to be confronting. But we mustn't mistake a confrontation for a lack of love or not being comforting. When friends get together and stage an intervention for a mate, it is because they love them. If they sit them down and tell them they need to quit alcohol or an abusive relationship, if they use strong language, it is because they love strongly. And it's the same here in Isaiah 48. God is incredibly kind and patient with his people. Just like Cam Cameron realized he needed help from outside So God's people need to listen up and realize they need God's loving intervention. In and of themselves, they and we are woefully insufficient 
and incapable. But being shown a, a dead end, it is good news if it means we take the right path. It is loving of God. You know, you know when you kind of watch a fly just ramming into the glass again and again? What it needs is to know the way to an open window, to fresh air, to freedom. Chapter 48, as I've said, comes at the climax of this section, running from chapter 40. And the big appeal is clear. Listen. It actually comes 11 times in this chapter. Words like hear mean the same thing as listen. And announce just means cause to hear. It is all about listening to the Lord God. But what's he got to say? Well, as is so often the case in the Bible, it is a sobering reality about humanity and staggering truths about a loving and holy God. So firstly, verses 1 to 11, you can see on the outline or on the screen, listen to the Lord and his purposes for his pig-headed people. Isaiah begins by holding up a mirror to God's people. Verse 1, page 736. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. It all starts off so well, but then there's this real gut punch. Do you see at the end of verse one, not in truth or right. Now they've got the right heritage. They, they say all the right things. It, it all looks good on the surface, but it's a sham. Isaiah exposes the massive danger of mere outward conformity. Turning up to church, even every week, possibly serving in some area, keeping our lives free from moral scandal, but ultimately a heart far from Jesus, not loving him as we should. It is a massive, massive danger. And yet God, in his love, exposes fake followers. Please don't assume church attendance makes you a Christian, but, but do keep coming to church to hear more about Jesus. I don't think being good and keeping your nose clean is the same thing as a heart devoted to Jesus. Now, Christianity isn't about keeping up appearances. It's about a loving God saving undeserving sinners in Jesus. And so just look how God carries on in verse 3. At the former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass, I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you. Lest you should say, my idol did them, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. If English isn't your first language, this is what I mean by pig-headed. It is a stubborn obstinate refusal to listen to God and acknowledge him. We've seen again and again in Isaiah how God not only knows but rules all of history. He deliberately tells his people what's going to happen so they realize and admit he alone is the Lord. God through Isaiah foretold the Assyrian invasion of the northern kingdom of Israel and it came to pass. He assured Hezekiah of safety in his day and it was so. He is a God who can be trusted. And yet God's people are pig-headed. They continue to think they know best. 
So when God begins to tell them of his new plans, well, they won't have any of it. Verse 6, you've heard, now see all this and will you not declare it? From this time forth I announce to you new things, hidden things that you've not known. They're created now, not long ago, before today you've never heard of them. Lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You've never heard, you've never known. From of old your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously and that from before birth you were called a rebel. I take it here in Isaiah, the new things includes the impending threat from Babylon, announced decades in advance. And we've seen, haven't we, how Isaiah predicts and even names Cyrus as the one who will then topple the Babylonian Empire and send God's people home. And as we read on in Isaiah, we discover God's going to do even more amazing new things, things you'd never have figured out in advance. He's going to send his servant who will suffer in the place of this wicked, obstinate, rebellious people. You see, at heart, we're rebels. I take it Andrew and Charlotte aren't reading parenting books on how to get your children to lie, not on the bookshelves, or three top tips for making your toddler steal. And Albie, just like every other child in the world, doesn't always do what their parents say. And naturally, we don't want God to be our boss. Verse 8 shows us rebelliousness isn't simply a phase in Israel or humanity's experience. It is part of our very nature. I'm sure most of us have heard the protest at one time or other, Christianity can't be true. Just look at Christians. They're hypocrites. They're, They're sinners, just like everyone else. And we must be clear, once someone has turned to Jesus, their life should look different. It is shocking if they carry on just the same. But Isaiah 48, it reframes the objection. How does God think? Christianity must be true. Just look at the people in the church. They're sinners, just like everyone else. You see, God doesn't start with better raw material. I know uh, someone at St. John's who has a job involving manganese, I think. Their their company takes uh, waste material and strips out the manganese so it can be used in things like electric car batteries. Uh, What was hazardous and good for nothing now gets turned into something good, something useful, something clean. Uh, And that's the kind of imagery we get in verses 9 to 11. Verse 9, for my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. You see, if God's people aren't any better than anyone else, why does God save them? Well, it's for his glory, isn't it? It can't be anything else. If God were to refine his people as silver, well, there'd be nothing left. It's not like they had some divine spark or deep down they're really good people at heart. No, they are pig-headed rebels at heart, says Isaiah. Back in chapter 1, Isaiah says, your silver has become dross, that they're all dross. He chooses them not because they're worthy, but because he is. Salvation has to be all God's work. God doesn't job share when it comes to salvation. 
And this is incredibly good news. This is, if we understand it rightly, wonderful comfort. Uh, Just imagine if God chose people on the basis of our merits. How terrible that would be. Uh, We like to think we're all good enough, so God should choose everyone. Uh, The Bible says none of us are good enough. But amazingly, God chooses some. And it is for his own sake. It's for the glory of his name. If God is perfect, and he is, if he is holy, and he is, if he is infinite and all-powerful and all-loving and the creator of all and the only God, then of course it is right that he receives all the glory. God keeps his promise to save a people, not because they've been so good at keeping his word and trusting him, but for his own sake, for his own glory, because he keeps his word. What a reassurance to weak, fickle, sinful people like me and you. As we look to the cross, of course we see the depths of God's love for us. And of course we benefit from it massively, eternally. But we also see the pursuit of God's own glory. Jesus is glorified at the cross and brings glory to the Father by dying in our place. Have we realized that? So all of this means what matters isn't ultimately my view of myself, but how God views me, what he says, and supremely his own commitment to his glory. And we have to relate to God on the basis of what he's like, not what we're like. And that is a good thing, even with passages like this speaking of judgment. A judgment in the Bible is always a good thing, always a means of hope. It's always dealing with sin, either punishing sin or turning us away from sin. God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. And often he will graciously allow us to see something of the judgment our rebellion deserves, to bring us to our senses. If God didn't care about his people, he wouldn't appeal to them. But if anything, the the appeal intensifies As in verses 12 to 22, we get the command to listen to the Lord and his promises for his prodigal people. His appeal continues very much like before. Verse 12, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first and I'm the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. So quickly we forget what God's like. We forget he created, he's ruling the universe. And we get caught up in our day-to-day lives. But only God is the first and the last. Will we listen to him? And again, what does he say? Well, to Isaiah's first readers, he reminds them he's going to use Cyrus. It was such a hard pill for them to swallow, so humbling So not what they were expecting. And yet for God to be God, he can save how he wants. Verse 14. Assemble all of you and listen. Who among you has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I've brought him and he will prosper in his way. God is absolutely free to bring his people back using Cyrus. 
And as we discover in the coming chapters, he is absolutely free to save through a suffering servant. And we get a, a little snapshot, a little sneak preview in verse 16. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning, I've not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I've been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Uh, people have puzzled over who exactly is speaking here. Well, could it be Cyrus? That's who Isaiah's just been talking about. Uh, well, Cyrus doesn't have God's spirit, so that rules him out. Uh, could it be Isaiah? Possibly. Uh, but it seems to be a different voice interrupting here, doesn't it? And then we remember chapter 42 and the, the servant who is anointed with the spirit. It seems verse 16 is a little foretaste, a trailer of the servant who's going to appear more and more center stage from chapter 49 onwards. But at this stage, it's just like a, a little glimmer, a little a ray of hope at this stage. Before we turn to the servant properly, though, as I wants to make sure we really understand quite how necessary this servant is. And so he underlines the depths of Israel's problem. I wonder if you know something of the heartache of seeing a loved one make a terrible decision. Perhaps it's a friend or family member who can't see what is just plain to everyone else. They keep making the same bad decision again and again. It could be the parent who has a child and they just won't listen to reason. If only they would listen, we think. And that is the flavor of verses 17 to 19. If only... Verse 17, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Going God's way is always right. It's always what's best for us, and yet we think we know best. The thing about a, a river or the waves is that they just don't stop, do they? they? They keep on coming, they're endless. And that could have been the peace you enjoyed, says the Lord. That could have been the, the unending righteousness you were clothed in. But you wouldn't listen. Isaiah points us back to Abraham and highlights those glorious promises from God. And with a sigh, he feels it's almost like they're beginning to, to fade away. Countless descendants, a never-ending name, no destruction. If only. If only. And what would listening to God look like? Well, there's one final appeal in verse 20. Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them, for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. It is remarkable, shocking even, after all we've seen about God's people, he will still redeem them. It is such good news. It needs to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, verse 20. At verse 21, if they listen to the Lord, it'll be like a new exodus. But the key word is if. Because if they won't listen, 
then verse, 40, uh, verse 22 that remains immovably true. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Uh, sometimes you hear people say, there's, there's no rest for the wicked. Uh, and what they mean is, I'm quite busy, or I've got a lot on my plate right now. Uh, so let's be clear, verse 22 isn't about having a full calendar or a busy schedule. It is saying for those who refuse to listen to God, for those who refuse to obey his good word, there is no peace, no restored relationship with God. God remains opposed to those who remain opposed to him. And it's as if Isaiah is saying, so which will it be? Will you listen? You could say this is Isaiah's two ways to live. If you're someone here just visiting or wanting to find out more about Christianity, this is a word for you. You see, some of God's people did return from Babylon, but in general, their hard-heartedness remained. Uh, what they needed wasn't a new neighborhood, but a new nature. A change of address doesn't mean a change of heart. Now, it's true, God's promises won't be thwarted by a sinful and stubborn people, but they're not brought about by us. His promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Isaiah 48 leaves us crying out for Isaiah 49 to 55 and a perfect, innocent servant who will stand in our place and bear the punishment we deserve. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 48 exposes us and forces us to admit Jesus and his death on the cross is the only way we can be rescued. Will we listen? Uh, from time to time, I find it helpful to think what the impossible application of a passage is. And, and today, I think there are two impossible applications. These are, these, these are the things not to do, just in case that's not clear. Uh, the first impossible application is to try harder, to be better. Uh, we read all of this and think, well, well, I won't be like them. I'm the one person who can be different. I can be good enough for God. But by the end of chapter 48, we're left in no doubt for God's people to be saved. They need a salvation from outside of themselves. They need a salvation despite themselves. They need a salvation from their sin. Ultimately, all we need to do is listen. It's been the repeated command throughout this chapter. And isn't it what Jesus says again and again? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Will we listen? And not listen about how to be good or how to earn our way into heaven. Will we listen to what God says about how pig-headed and prodigal we are? But also will we listen to a loving God who calls us to turn to him and receive the most gracious of welcomes? Someone recently commented how it's been a while since I quoted J.C. Ryle. So this is for you. He says, the saddest road to hell is the one that runs under the pulpit, past the Bible, and through the middle of warnings and invitations. Will we listen? Isaiah 48, like the whole Bible, is a message of grace. Being shown a dead end should make us cry out for a rescuer. It should make us gratefully receive the rescue. 
And it rams home the point, Christians aren't any better than those around them, not in and of ourselves. And what is the difference between the Israelites and the Babylonians? Not much. Or to be precise, the Lord God, everything. He is the only thing that makes a difference. In many ways, we're just the same as God's people in Isaiah's day, but there are some crucial differences. For a start, if we're a Christian, then we've been given ears to hear by God's Spirit. We know the unending peace and righteousness of verse 18 found in Jesus. We're no longer facing God's just judgment because Jesus has already taken it in our place. Also, we're not in the same place, are we? We're not even in exile, not in exactly the same way as those sitting in Babylon. In one sense, Jesus has taken the exile for us. He was cut off, so we don't have to be. In Jesus, we've been brought home. But it is also true, we're not there yet. The New Testament can still talk about us as exiles. We're foreigners and sojourners. And in Revelation 18, we get the same command. It's interesting, at least to me. In Revelation 18, we get an angel crying with a mighty voice. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality and the kings of the earth have committed on immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. It is very, very similar to what we were seeing in Isaiah 47 last week. Babylon's days are numbered. Deserves judgment is sure to come. Fallen is Babylon the great. But then what do we read next in Revelation 18? Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Again, isn't it just what we've been seeing in Isaiah? And it brings us on to our second impossible application. Uh, We might think the command to go out from Babylon means we need to exit society, to to set up a commune in the woods or join a monastery. I'm guessing we're not seriously considering those things, but maybe we could think of just little ways we withdraw from the world. Stephen's thinking of joining a monastery. Don't. Uh, The call, though, to pack your bags and leave Babylon, it is a call to go God's way and trust him and him alone to provide. It is a call to leave off sinning and cling to Jesus. We flee from sin. We flee through and to Jesus. But as we close, let's be clear, our confidence doesn't lie in our ability to run from sin. It's all about the one we're running to. Verse 20, it's the last mention of Babylon in the book. It's as if we're done with it now. We can can look forward with confidence. If you're in Christ, we can be confident whatever we're going through, whatever circumstances God has put us in, he's not going to abandon us or give up on us. He chose us not because of our goodness, but his glory. God's not worried about the raw material. If you're sitting here, you're not yet a Christian. Don't don't worry. God 
only works with sinners. But he calls us to listen. We listen when we turn to Jesus in humble, confident, obedient faith. When we realize we cannot save ourselves and our only hope is in him. And we listen when we turn from sin to him day after day after day. What a loving, gracious saviour God we have who in his kindness warns us and saves us. Will we listen? Let's pray together. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father God, please help us to listen to this uh, clear, gracious word of yours, our inability to save ourselves, uh, but the wonder that for the sake of your glory and by your grace you save sinners like us. Help us remember how necessary that salvation in Jesus is, how precious it is, and would we proclaim that, would we send it out to the end of the earth and say the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. We ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.